This podcast contains mature content and listener discretion is advised. Also, be advised, we are not medical professionals and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Running through the streets, solving all the mysteries, crushes and aliens, lots of other crazy things We're in. We're in. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc. I'm Maggie. And I'm Maggie. Damn it. Did it again. <laughs> I'm going to do she that She got to you. me. I'm going to do it every six months. I got got. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this for almost five years. Yeah. And you would think. to my credit, I've only done that one other time. Yeah. Do you have any business? Not really. I'm just on my overcoming toxic, anxious perfectionism grind. I love that for you. How's That's- it going? <laughs> It's a grind. Are you finding any success? <laughs> <laughs> it's been fine. Yeah. Um, as a result, who knows what this script is going to be like. <laughs> I cannot wait. You're entering your chaos era, and I, I can't wait to be along for the ride. It's Welcome. Good. It's good to be here. It's fun on this side of mental illness. <laughs> it's good to be here. Yeah. I'm trying to stop. I think stop. the intention matters. I love that. I'm trying to stop using, like, conversation softening exclamation points when I'm talking to customer service chatbots. Yeah. It extends <laughs> that far. I'm like, please check the status on this return. Exclamation point. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. For sure. Who are you? It's a bot. Anyway. I know. I apologize. Just- I apologize and say thank you to robots like all the time. When robots take over the world, guess who's gonna be safe? I know. Love you, robots. <laughs> we love you. We love you. We love our robot overlords. Can't wait to serve you for eternity. <laughs> so yeah, that's okay. where we're at. I love it. Making progress. Yeah, I did find. I did hear one here. Read one helpful thing in the anxious perfectionism book I'm reading, which is called something like <laughs> "You Can't." No, <laughs> you they can't even say, read a book about anxious say, perfectionism. They even <laughs> say in the book they're like, you "Do not." Make overcoming perfectionism a perfectionist thing because you will. They're like, we know that you want to be perfect at overcoming your perfectionism. But the book is great because it Uh actually actually is great. I'll put the name of it in the... um, in the box that goes underneath the, the recording. Yeah. <laughs> this is me overcoming my perfectionism. In the sub-recording box. <laughs> yeah. This is me accepting that I don't have to find the perfect word every time. I love it. Um, But they said, because perfectionists tend to, like, live by rules. Like, I have to do the laundry on Sundays because mm. that way I have laundry, right? And mm-hmm. so their thing is, instead of living by rules... Figure out what your actual values are and then measure your success against whether or not you're living up to your values. So like if you on the first episode of the year are like, I really value connection this year. And then your perfectionism brain is like, you can't go do that. You have to do laundry. Ask yourself, like, is laundry helping me align with my value of connecting? Or would it be more aligned with my value Mm. if I actually just like went and saw my friend instead of doing the laundry? Interesting. And that's really been helping me because I realized all of my rules Like, all my perfectionism is about living up to something I have no interest in being. Which is what? 
like, you know, having like all of my shit done perfectly, mm. which is like not interesting to me. That so it's sense. been helpful. I want to be a mysterious girl. <laughs> so you can just measure all of your success against how mysterious you're being. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. You're on a mystery podcast, so I'd say you're already doing well. Yeah, but I'm too gregarious. <laughs> you're too open. Yeah. You're an open book. We're shutting down. Love is an open door. <laughs> Don't ask how I am, because I'll just say, fine, how are you? <laughs> With one exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of two. Uh Anyway, are you ready for a mystery? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So today I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I had like a nightmare this morning as I was waking up that you thought today was your day to record. I also had that nightmare. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yes. I was like, I hope she doesn't show up with her laptop and think she's recording today. I was eating cereal this morning because <laughs> I'm nine, I guess. Yeah, sure. And I stopped and I went, oh my God. <laughs> Am I supposed to Is record? It my week? <laughs> And then I was like, no, it's not. And then I was like, it might be. That's amazing. And then I was like, well, show up. And if it is, yeah. there you go. <laughs> if, it is, <laughs> then it we, if it is, then we have a talk show. The mystery is, what was my mystery yeah. going to be? <laughs> we might actually solve that one. I'm so glad we had a, a co-nightmare. Yeah, hive mind. A hive mare. A hive mare. But in your version, <laughs> I was overachieving. Yeah. And in mine, I was continuing along the path of underachieving that I coast through. <laughs> this is the anxious perfectionist in me projecting my perfectionism. <laughs> yeah. And it's the chaos demon in me. <laughs> I don't think I was projecting. It's just something that I would do. Yeah. Great. So those are our flaws. <laughs> well, speaking of chaos demons, yes. you're going to love today's episode. I'm so excited. <clears throat> Today we are talking about the 40 elephants. The 40 elephants were an all-female crime syndicate. Yep. <laughs> who existed yes. in London. Sign me up. I'll do this one for free. From the mid to late 1800s until the 1960s. Sorry, I talked over you. Where were they? London. I was got too excited. It's ex very exciting. <laughs> okay. London's all-female crime syndicate mm. from the mid to late 1800s until the 1950s or 60s. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Do they have matching outfits? No, but they have special clothes. Yes. It's we harder combine... to do crime if you're all in <laughs> matching uniforms. Or is it easier? Good question. It, well, it depends on if you're the police or not. Ew! <laughs> We've never high-fived. <laughs> I had to give it to you. That was pretty far. Good Did thing we say... both have, like, alien I know. arms. <laughs> our Good thing our wingspan is <laughs> together is, like, nine feet long. Uh, dang. We could end the episode here. I would be really <laughs> happy done. with Goodbye. it. <laughs> okay. 40 Lady Strong Crime Syndicate may or may not have had matching outfits <laughs> in London. Actually, up to 70 at, at times, but they were called the 40. Oh, okay. Because they were probably were 40 in the beginning. We don't know because they were so good at crime. Who's to say? <laughs> How did you find this? I think I just saw it on the internet when I was perusing stuff one day. I've had it on my list for a while. That's so cool. We find very different things. <laughs> our algorithm, <laughs> our algorithms are serving us very different things. Mine is like, do you like lady crime? I'm like, I love lady yeah, crime. And mine's like, we don't know how anything in the universe works. <laughs> yeah, cry Can you about figure it. it out for us. <laughs> no. Um, the first mention we have of them in a London newspaper comes from 1873. But this podcast has existed for five years, and it's never been mentioned in a newspaper. So. so then it must not exist. Who knows how long they've been around by that time. Um, I think 1860s is the best estimate. The gang originally referred to 
themselves as the 40 Thieves. Mm-hmm. And somewhere around 1924, their name was changed to the 40 Elephants. And I'll talk about why. Their home base was the Elephant and Castle District. And they were basically, uh, they became a sister gang of the Elephant and Castle mob. So, like, eh? if you've ever seen, like, what? Peaky Blinders, or, like, if you're aware, aware of, it. of it. So, like, the Elephant and Castle mob was, like, the Peaky Blinders. They're, like, a London gang, um, like, a London mob that uh, ran the Elephant and Castle district. And the 40 Elephants, or the 40 Thieves, became, like, a sister gang of them. Um, in the time period that we're going to talk about today, many of them were married to... Elephant and Castle guys. They were siblings of Elephant and Castle guys. Oh my god. It was like like a sorority and a fraternity basically. Uh, did they have mixers? <laughs> yeah. They <laughs> they all they all hung out together. What do they call those date parties? I don't know. I never went. Me neither. Because their husbands and brothers and fathers were often in prison, many of the women of the 40 Elephants were the sole breadwinners of their households. And supported their husbands or brothers when they couldn't get work because they were criminals or when they spent time in jail. Before you ask, two production companies bought the rights Damn it. to this in 2020. I was going to say we should combine it with our um, Antwerp <laughs> yeah. idea. Yeah. I don't remember what we called that. That Shadow. was basically like a an Italian lady gang of yeah. heisters. Um, yeah. So this. Uh, Who bought it? Saffron Company and Hera Pictures. For how much? Oh, it was competitive, apparently. This book that is the main source for this came out in 2015, and I was like, we were really sleeping on this because, yeah. God damn it. The main sources for this episode are Gangs of London, 100 Years of Mob Warfare by Brian McDonald and Alice Diamond and the 40 Elephants by Brian McDonald. Alice Diamond? We're going to talk about her. And it's interesting because Brian McDonald wrote these books because he started doing research on his family because the McDonald brothers who like started the Elephant and Castle Gang or they were like the main guys um, were like his ancestors. That's so cool. Their main criminal activity was shoplifting. But they also did a fair amount <laughs> bitches of... Bitches be shopping. Bitches be shopping. They did a fair amount of blackmailing and heisting as well. They were known for having a corporate internal structure and meticulously planning their crimes, um, which unsurprisingly was not common at the time for street gangs. No. First, we're going to talk about the shoplifting. You sound like... <laughs> it's like your mom took you to a therapist. <laughs> First, we're going to talk about the shoplifting. We're going to talk about the shoplifting. <laughs> I get it. You need There's to be no ethical control. consumption under capitalism. <laughs> um, so The only ethical consumption under capitalism is shoplifting. Yeah, correct. This right. is not medical advice. <laughs> so they had several strategies. We're going to talk about like Victorian England, like late 1800s first. So their strategies mostly hinged on exploiting the prudish attitudes of Victorian England because mm. shopkeepers wouldn't even like go near a woman <laughs> if she was by herself because that's the rules of society. So out of, wait, out mm-hmm. of fear or disgust? <laughs> uh, disgust masked as politeness. Okay. It wasn't like, oh, I can't go near you because your husband is not here and you can't open a credit card. Uh, it was exactly that, but it was like, it would be impolite of me to be near you because your husband's because not here. Of a man. Yeah. That owns you. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Right. <clears throat> Love it. 
So, first of all, they would sew, like, hidden pockets into their petticoats and stuff. You can't give us that many clothes to wear and think we're not going to squirrel things away Correct. They would also just put clothes on under their clothes and walk out because they had these giant hoop skirts. We should... We should do this again. <laughs> uh, the gang never wore the clothes they stole. Instead, they would fence them, sell them for money, and then use that money to go uh, buy expensive high fashion properly. Yep. Uh, Love that. They were known for their penchant for furs, which they purchased legally with funds obtained from stolen goods. <laughs> As time went on, they got more sophisticated in their methods, and the main focus of our story today is going to be the interwar period when the gang was at its peak, and we're going to talk about the leader of the 40 Elephants, who was always known as the Queen. God damn it. I can't believe we don't have the rights to this. (laughs) It's a crime, really. A crime. (laughs) The first Queen of the 40 Thieves was Mary Polly Carr. Her father was a bank burglar. She was a pickpocket and also an artist's model. God damn it, that's cool. She was very beautiful. She had long blonde hair. Um, She went to jail. They all went to jail many times, but she most notably went to jail for allegedly kidnapping a child. But the author of our source says that it's very likely that the mother sold the child to a man named Phil Jacobs, who then placed the child into Mary's care Um, And in this theory, his plan was to sell the child to a childless couple, but the child fell ill and they, like, couldn't close the deal. Uh, The child lived with Mary for 11 months before he was found, and a later report by Scotland Yard says that he was very well taken care of and that when they found him, they were actually trying to find another woman who they suspected of running a child trafficking ring. Did she get to keep the kid? She didn't want to keep the kid. Oh. Oh, um, it was he was given. She yeah. He basically, this guy her. that she worked with uh, showed up and was like, "Can you take care of this kid? It's this girl I'm dating's kid, and she can't. Whatever. She's not can't take care of him." <laughs> and Mary was like, "I guess." I actually read the court transcripts, and she testified that, like, several weeks into it, she heard rumors that the kid was stolen, and um, someone else testified on her behalf that she was there when she confronted Phil Jacobs and was like, I heard that this kid was stolen. And he was like, then take him to the police. But the 40 thieves had what's called a hoister's code. And so you're not allowed to help the police ever for any reason. Can we have a hoister's code? We do have a hoister's code. It's this, yeah. (laughs) And you're not allowed to wear um, anything that's stolen. I like that. Yeah. So they had other rules too, but... She showed up to court in a silk blouse and a black velvet cape. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) She was found guilty, and when she was sentenced, she bowed and thanked the judge. She got three years penal servitude. The child went into foster care, um, well, the equivalent of foster care, with the mother's consent. And uh, Mary Polly Carr was known as the worst woman in London. And Walter Melville wrote a play inspired by her called A Disgrace to Her Sex. Uh, was that a gen- facetious or a genuine? No, genuine. They were like, this woman, <laughs> she does crime. <laughs> it's going to be like Cleopatra where they it like is, try yeah. to <laughs> slander is. her. She ends up seeming cooler. Exactly. The main queen we're going to talk about today is Alice Diamond. Mm. I'm going to change my name to Alice Diamond. It's good. And that's her actual name. No. Yeah. I'm really jealous. You can't have any other job if your name is Alice Diamond. I know. 
She also, the police also called her Diamond Annie or Diamond Alice because she just wore a fistful of diamond rings and she would use them basically like brass knuckles (laughs) when she got into a fight. What am I doing with my life? I know. That's so cool. So she was born into a workhouse hospital. If you don't know what a Victorian workhouse was, if you've seen Act One of Oliver, then yes, you do. Uh, they, Do they sing? <laughs> Ooh. They were established like by the churches and stuff to provide shelter and food for the poor in exchange for labor. Of course, exchanging anything for free labor quickly degenerates into basically a prison. Mm-hmm. Um, unpaid labor, child labor, long hours, gross overcrowding, poor conditions, lots of disease. Dickens's Please, Sir, I Want Some More is based on an actual law that workhouses were not allowed to give second helpings. So that's where Alice was born. Her father was a criminal himself. His most oft-cited crime is the time he assaulted the son of the Lord Mayor of London by punching his head through a glass pane in a door. (gasps) Wait, was he on one side of the glass and the son was on the other and he punched through the glass? No, he put his head through it, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Damn. It would have been cooler to, like, punch (laughs) through. A Maybe plane he did. Of glass into somebody's Maybe head. Maybe he did. I'm going to choose to believe that's what happened. Yeah. So Alice was 5'8, but the average man at this time was 5'6. And yes! so she's, she is frequently referred to as like the tallest criminal woman in London. Well, actually, she's referred to often as the tallest woman in London, which I don't think is true, but I don't know. It might be. I'm the tallest woman in the United States of America. I know you are. As a 5'9 yeah. <laughs> woman. She was once caught stealing chocolate in 1912, and then by 1915, she was queen of the 40 thieves. So who knows what happened. How old was she then? Uh, She was in her early 20s. She was stealing chocolate in her early 20s? No, she was like 17 or something when she stole the um, chocolate. She was like a teenager. I love that. Yeah. In 1916, she was arrested for stealing another girl's labor union card. And using it to get a job in a munitions factory. That's so cool. <laughs> we don't know what her motive was, but Brian McDonald suspects that she was trying to obtain explosives for safe blowing. That's so cool. <laughs> so she like <laughs> got a job in a munitions factory because she clearly didn't want a real job. She was a, a career I criminal. I need a break. Like, <laughs> <this is laughs> her best friend and right hand was a woman named Maggie Babyface Hill. I wonder what it's like to have a best friend named Maggie. It's cool. I bet it sucks. I bet it's fun. <laughs> oh, actually, I also have another best friend named Maggie, as do you, because you have two. So I can say That's with true. certainty that it is fun. Oh, yeah, you know. I know what it's like. I double know. You double know. Maggie's 13-year-old brother, Billy Hill, would grow up to be known as the boss of Britain's underworld. God, they're all so cool. He would also go on to write a book with his son about organized crime in England called The Boss of Britain's Underworld. At what age are you safe to write a book about all the crime you did? <laughs> uh, I think he, well, I don't actually know. He must have been like in his 70s. Like what's the cultural statute of limitations I think, on organized I think crime? as long as the literal statute of limitations has run out, then you can write it. Okay, great. So I've got like six years left. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done a crime. <laughs> Just want that made clear. <laughs> Maggie was about 4'11. She had a baby face. Oh my God. And she was frequently jailed for shoplifting and assaulting police officers. Oh, yes. Her rap sheet described her as addicted to drink, of a violent disposition, mm-hmm. and loose morals. That's my girl. She also was once caught stealing checks from businesses because her hand was so small, she would slide <laughs> it into their mailboxes and just pull the mail out. <laughs> 
Oh my god, that's so cool. She got I love this. I know. She got three years in 1923 when she, Alice, and a woman named Madeline Partridge, who was also a member of the 40 Elephants, robbed a jewelry store and Maggie grabbed a tray of diamond rings, ran out the door, and straightened to a police officer <laughs> carrying the rings. Put it in the show. Oh, we will. That's the cold open. Oh, yeah. It's like a long sequence of like them pulling off this robbery and then <laughs> Like it's very and it's very meticulously planned. And then Maggie, because she's the um, wild card, you'll find, grabs the tray and just runs out and runs smack into a police officer. (laughs) A Bobby. In a lot of these stories that are in Brian McDonald's book, Maggie was arrested with knives and razor blades. She was not afraid. Razor blades, did I say? Don't change it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a perfectionist anymore. (laughs) She reportedly was not afraid to use them and on multiple occasions attacked women with razors and cut their faces open and stuff. So she was... What the heck? Yeah. She was feisty. (laughs) Um, She's a real firecracker. Other high-ranking members from Alice's tenure as queen include Gertrude Gert Scully, who was the group's tailor, and she constructed all of their specialized garments with the secret pockets. Alice and Gert won third place in a tango competition in 1919. Alice is often described as being a really good dancer. Listen. Because this is the Charleston. This is work-life balance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're so right. (laughs) This is 1919. I mean, like, most of this story is in the 20s. So, like, she was, like, out there doing the Charleston and just, like, kicking ass and taking names literally and figuratively. Uh, Some of the other women included Ada Wellman, Flory Holmes, Christina Noon, Maude Seymour, Bertha Tappenden, and Lillian Goldstein, who was known as the bobbed-haired bandit. (gasps) I... Lillian was dating Ruby Sparks, who was a notorious jewel thief from the Elephant and Castle gang, and she was often his getaway driver. Was Ruby Sparks named Ruby, or did he take his name because he stole jewels? You're going to find out. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so she was his getaway driver, and Ruby Sparks described her as, she was as game as anything, that girl, and had nerves of ice. Ooh, wait. Is that good? Yeah. I just feel like, like you steel can't... is stronger than ice, but whatever. <laughs> no, because she's like ice cold. Ah. And she doesn't give a fuck. She was reported to look like a film star. She would wear a red driving coat and a black beret or a green motoring outfit. <laughs> and they the there are like drawings of her in the newspaper being the getaway driver, being like. <laughs> <laughs> she also sometimes wore a man's trench coat with the collar turned up. Ah, that's so hot. You know. I want to start dressing like that. Side note, Ruby Sparks claims to have invented smash and grab, which he might have. What is smash and grab? Uh, It's a jewelry thieving style. Um, We talked about it a little bit in the Antwerp episode. It's where you basically smash a window and take all the jewelry out of it or come into a store and smash the cases and take all the stuff. Okay. I didn't know that had a name. I thought that was just stealing jewels. It's just t- different types of stealing. Oh, okay. Like a smash and grab is like different than like a heist. Mm. Smash and grab is like very uh, messy. What did, what did Maggie do? A slide Shoplifting. and stumble? We, they have names. We're going to talk about them. Oh, when she took the tray and ran Oh, that is a slide and stumble. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he... His first attempted smash and grab, which may have been the first ever attempted smash and grab, we don't know. Uh, he th- attempted to throw a brick through a store window and it bounced back into the street. 
So he tried to throw it two more times and a couple people started gathering around and someone went, what's wrong, son? And he just gave up and walked away. Oh. <laughs> he, they could have helped. So then he came back another day with two bricks <laughs> wrapped together <laughs> and he succeeded in his first smash and grab. Listen, that's kind of a cool metaphor for life. If you throw a brick out a window and it doesn't break, get another brick. Yeah, true. Two bricks are better than one. There you go. Kill two bricks with one bird. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so no. I couldn't find a real source on this. This is what like Ruby says, and it's all over the internet, so it's like hard to say. But, well, he was born Charles Sparks. And he apparently got his name because when he was 16, he broke into a home on Park Lane, found a box full of 40 red stones, stole them, took them to a fence, and the fence was like, these are glass, they're worthless. So he took the box to the tavern and just gave them away to his friends. And then the next day he saw in the newspaper that an Indian Maharaja had lost his rubies worth 40,000 pounds, which is about 750 grand in today's money. And that's how he got the name Ruby Sparks. Why didn't the... The fence was just wrong. He probably had never seen rubies before. I would have gone there and kicked him in the knees. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk. Oh my God, I'm so angry. (laughs) Let's talk technique. So the gang was organized into cells of four or five that operated independently so that if one cell got caught, the rest of the gang would be unaffected. Here are some of the techniques that the elephants used. And we know about these because they did a bunch of interviews with a journalist named Dan Johnston. And they told him about a bunch of their techniques. When did they do the interviews? This is in the 20s. Um, but the paper like pulled... while they were operating? Yeah. The paper pulled the story because Scotland Yard didn't want them glamorizing them. Um, <laughs> Why? <laughs> and also because this happened right around the time of the riot, which we're going to get to. Oh so we don't have the full story because it was never published, but we have his notes. Um, well, Brian McDonald has his notes, and this is what we have. The Ringer. A woman would go into a store, look at engagement rings, and not buy any. Then she would go get a cheap dupe from the gang's pile of cheap rings that they have. She would go with a friend back into the store. She'd ask to see the rings again, switch them, and pass the real ring to the friend, and then leave again without buying anything. And if she was stopped, she didn't have either of the rings on her, so she'd be, mm-hmm. she'd be fine. God, that's smart. The three-card trick, where three women would come in, one wearing a loose-fitting white coat with a fur coat underneath it. She takes off the white coat and lays it on the counter while another woman tries on a similar fur coat. While the third woman distracts the shop attendant. Then the woman trying on the fur coat puts the other white coat on over the stolen fur and leaves. And then when the shopkeeper notices the woman with her own fur coat trying to leave and stops her, she pulls it out and proves that it's from a different brand and that she owns it. (laughs) And it's like, excuse. God, that's genius. Wait. So does this one kind of rely on men not being able to tell women apart? <laughs> the idea is that they don't see the f- hidden fur coat. They see the white coat. They see oh, the other two women. I they don't see. They don't register that anyone's wearing a fur coat. Got it. One called the decoy. They have three women go into the store. One conspicuously takes something near the exit but doesn't leave. The salesperson comes after them and they go, I'm just trying to see it in the light. And while they're having this conversation, the other two girls take whatever they want and leave. <laughs> 
There's only one person working in these shops, right? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, as time goes on, they start getting store detectives and stuff. But yeah, it's usually like a person. That's so cool. As the girls got more well-known, they started pulling off a different version of the decoy where they would just bring someone like Alice or Maggie into the store. And because they were known to be a criminal, the shop attendants would all watch them very closely and the brand new trainee would steal the stuff to help them get their training (laughs) wheels off. That's so cool. Brian's notes also include the fact that someone not naming names, Alice Diamond, once planted a stolen bracelet in the pocket of a shop detective that she particularly disliked. That's incredible. (laughs) I might be in love with her. Yeah. Uh, His notes also say that they planned their projects with the exactitude of board meetings. Love it. We also know that they also would do this thing where they would just pull their arm out of their sleeve and let the empty sleeve dangle like at its side while their hand was inside their coat like stealing things like that's so clever yeah and then they actually sometimes would even put a fake arm <laughs> in their sleeve and we know this because one time a shop attendant found a fake arm like in a pile of clothes they'd gone through oh and she almost God. passed out cause she was so like startled by this it. sounds so fun uh, yes should we do this <laughs> should we do crime should we start a crime ring I can't even like I can't even jaywalk I was gonna say that <laughs> like I can't even like lie like I could never do this no. but it's fun to dream about mm-hmm. we should just make a TV show about it and be in it exactly yeah they, in 1911 when chewing gum became popular they started doing the thing where one person would go in look at like some jewels decide not to buy anything and leave they would just stick the jewels under the counter with chewing gum So that the person, when they went out, if something, if they got stopped, they had nothing on them, but then their friend would come in and take it out. Like take the, they'd run their finger along the counter and find the jewels and take them. God damn. As cars became more widely available, (laughs) they became part of the 40 elephants arsenal, but not in the way you might expect. They started investing in really fast cars. And what they would do is rob a store, run out, pass the goods off to someone on foot, and then hop into a fast car and lead the police on a chase and when they caught up to them there'd be nothing in the car oh my god (laughs) these might be the smartest people who ever lived correct uh alice personal car was a big black chrysler which was apparently super powerful and very fast they would also fake qualifications to get jobs as housekeepers under fake names and then when they would come for work they would just rob the place blind and never be seen again love well mm, maybe it depends Mansions. They were like robbing mansions. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) The group had a shared treasury, which they used to buy cars, retain lawyers, and pay bail. Uh, One author compared. They had a bail fund. Yeah. One author compared the gang to being in a union with really good benefits. Oh my god. Alice went to prison quite a bit, and they were apparently always glad when she got out because she would spend her time training newbie thieves in jail, like recruiting for the gang. Can you imagine being in jail and then having Alice? The queen of the forty diamonds, being like, I mean, queen of the (laughs) queen of the forty elephants. I would pee my pants and then say, "Yes, please, yes, please." In 1921, Alice's brother Tommy, who had lost a leg while serving in World War One who was also part of the Elephant Castle gang, got pulled off of his stool into a gang battle at a racetrack. Alice jumped in to protect him and put up a fight until she was pulled out of the fight and dragged to safety by a man who she would soon learn was Albert McDonald, one of the younger McDonald brothers, <gasps> leaders of the Elephant Castle gang, who would then become Alice's boyfriend and later be the Aww. one to change the name of the gang to the 40 Elephants. Um, sadly, is that cute or is it annoying? Uh, no, it was better branding also because it's less uh, suspicious than calling yourselves thieves. (laughs) 
Um, Sadly, they had broken up by 1922, probably because of who they were as people. (laughs) (laughs) It's not exactly what you wrote. Yeah, Yeah, that's phenomenal writing. Thank you. One time, Alice and a few of her compatriots were arrested because they were casing shops. But the police arrested them before they did anything, so they got let out because of insufficient evidence. <laughs> but as they left the court, they were immediately rearrested on different charges that they, like the police had been waiting to push through. And reportedly, Rachel Strong said, oh, all right. And Alice shrugged and said, I'll get out of it. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. When London got too hot, they'd go to other towns and they'd drop empty suitcases at the train station so that when they came back to the train, they would just load it up with stolen goods and then throw it in the luggage compartment with all the other luggage. So, like, even if someone was following them, they could never catch it. That's so cool. They would also sometimes steal something, wrap it up in the bathroom, like a parcel, and then just take it to the post office in that town and mail it home and then drive home. Can they do that? Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? Like, they're not going to know. You can't. No, can't you you're not like supposed not to mail do that. stuff now. Oh, you can mail stuff. It's the twenties. No, I mean now, now, now. Oh, like could we mail? Even if we owned it, could we mail ourselves? Like I don't know, a lot of diamonds. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want rules. to. You wouldn't want to. I think if it's over a certain like worth, I mean, you want to insure it. But they weren't always stealing diamonds. Sometimes it was like a fur coat or something. So they would just oh. put. You know, Why did I think or there were rules? They stole a lot of silk, too, because silk was really hard to come by. It was very expensive. So they would just steal stuff and mail it to themselves. In 1925, shit hit the fan. At the Canterbury Arms Club in Waterloo, one of the gang's members, Marie Jackson, got into a fight with another member, Bertha Tappenden. Oh, you can't fight internally. I know. It was reported that they had a falling out over a man. Come on. They please. were both married, so either Bertha tried to steal Marie's husband... Or, as the prevailing theory seems to be, the group was mad at Marie for marrying outside the gang and trying to go straight. In any case, insults were exchanged. It turned into Marie attacking Bertha with a broken wine glass and cutting her face. (gasps) Marie's dad, Bill Britton, who was very close to the top of the Elephant Castle gang, jumped into the fray. He punched Bertha. (gasps) He dumped a glass of stout on Bertha, which is the most British thing I've ever heard in my entire life. (laughs) Is that even an insult? (laughs) Or a gift? Right. And then Maggie Hill or Maggie Hughes, her birth, I think her maiden name is Hill and her married name is Hughes. She was married at this point. Maggie, Gert Scully, and Tommy Diamond jumped into the fight. Bill eventually dragged Marie out of the fight and they went home. The next night, the gang was out drinking and they were mad. Mm-hmm. Alice Diamond, Maggie Hill, Gert Scully, Bert McDonald, Maggie's brother-in-law George, and whoever else was there, including more of the boys, trademark, mm-hmm. <laughs> left the bar around midnight. On their way out, they grabbed whatever glass bottles they could find. They marched down the street, picking up bricks, stones, and lumps of concrete, as well as more people. The police estimated that there were 40 to 50 people who arrived at Marie and Bill's door that night. No. Marie and Bill were awoken by the sound of their front windows smashing and came to find a mob breaking down their front door and raining bottles and stones down on their house. Why? Oh, because of the feud. Mm -hmm. Because they fucked with the wrong people. (laughs) Bill and his son tried to hold the front door, but 
the mob broke it down and chased Bill through the house. They knocked his sons down. They kicked them. Maggie's brother-in-law pointed a gun at Marie's mom. Um, and Bill ended up in the street with his face covered in blood. He had to get like 25 stitches. When the police got there and tried to push through the mob, the mob beat the shit out of the police. <laughs> they arrested... <laughs> They arrested some of the men, in particular a man named Sam Ashley, and Gert Scully got arrested because she tried to set him free. <laughs> Marie named everyone, and they all got picked up in the coming days. Marie. Yeah. Trouble. You don't help. Snitch. You can't. But was she the one who was trying to go straight? I guess so, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Um, just go quietly into the night you right know? yeah just fade a... gently into the background yeah. <laughs> like don't become a big problem for the gang just for your own safety yeah don't become a big problem for the gang so they got they all got picked up and then released on bail Alice was sentenced to three months hard labor for stealing jewelry just a few days later so she was in custody the whole time that she was awaiting trial while she was away her mother got sick and passed away at the age of 49 mm-hmm. Alice was in jail, but it was reported that most of the 40 elephants attended her funeral. Oh, Sisterhood. Yeah. The ringleaders of the riot were charged with riotous assembly and wounding. Gert Scully caught an additional charge. Wounding? Yeah. Is a crime? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gert Scully caught an additional charge for assaulting and obstructing police constable Cecil Bingham and police constable Charles Barber in the execution of their duty when God, she tried to break Sam Ashley the, out. Is that the most? They're so wormy. Those are the wormiest <laughs> names. Cecil Bingham. Cecil Bingham. With his stupid little hat. Yeah. <laughs> and his little stick. Because he's mean. <laughs> um, everyone got at least a year in prison. Together? Kind of. Not really. I don't think they were all like sent to the same place. Maggie's brother-in-law got five years. Bertha got 18 months. Maggie and Gert got 21 months. Um, Alice also got 18 months. And that kind of like quieted down the gang for a year because all of the main <laughs> guys were in jail. <laughs> they were on hiatus. Exactly. Um, and that's kind of like people kind of write that as like their swan song. Um, they continued thieving throughout the 30s, but they just weren't like the same kind of after that. Mm-hmm. In 1939, Maggie broke a glass bottle and attacked a woman who was a member of another crime family dynasty and sliced her face, causing her to lose sight in one eye. <gasps> Maggie! Brian McDonald says that they may have been fighting over a smash and grab artist named Johnny Jackson. Ooh. Maggie was married, but it doesn't make doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> um, she got three years, and Brian says that Brian, like he's my friend. Brian McDonald. <laughs> Bry. Bry says that by this time, Alice refused to work with Maggie anymore because her drinking had gotten really bad Aww. and her volatile temper had also made her a liability. Were they in like would you say like their late 30s at this point? Yeah, I think so. In September of 1939, World War II started and shoplifting in London kind of quieted down, most likely because it was being bombed. A lot of people evacuated London at the time. A lot of the women who evacuated kept shoplifting in smaller towns, um, but they, they weren't. They took their talents abroad. Exactly. That was the last criminal conviction that we know of for Maggie. And while in prison, she lost an eye in a fight. 
And when she got out of jail, she quit shoplifting. She had a fling with Johnny Jackson, which feels like poetic justice. Mm -hmm. And then she spent the rest of her life working as a host at one of her brother's clubs. So she just kind of gave up the thieving life. Um, That's kind of a cool... Yeah. Twilight. Yeah. She died in 1949, aged 50. She was 40 and 39 when they... Probably, yeah. Okay. Alice didn't evacuate London during the war, but she stepped back from her role as queen and took on what is described as more of an organizer role within Mm. the gang. Mm -hmm. She was still operating in 1947, around the time a young woman named Shirley Pitts came onto the scene. Both of Shirley Pitts' parents were thieves, and Shirley said that she was taught to shoplift at age 13 under the tutelage of Alice Diamond. (gasps) Wait. The, in 47? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so cool. <laughs> she was, like, not the reigning... Like, she wasn't... She kind of t- basically took a less active role, but she was still, like, training people, yeah. basically. She's the matriarch. Exactly. That was 1947. And in the early 50s, Alice Diamond became paralyzed, and she lived with her sister, Louisa, who took care of her until her death in 1952 at age 55. Do we know how she became paralyzed? She most likely had multiple sclerosis. Mm, okay. And that is what we think she died of. By the 60s, Shirley became the official queen of the 40 elephants. In the 60s, department stores started installing security systems, which actually worked to Shirley's benefit because store security became super lax because <laughs> stores didn't expect anyone to be able to beat the system. So they stopped watching. But Shirley was out there experimenting with triggering alarms to see how they worked. Yeah, what kind of alarms was it? Well, they were magnetic. So she discovered that all you needed to do was line a bag with foil and you could beat the metal detector or the the tag detector. She was the last queen of the 40 elephants. She had seven children during her lifetime and she was queen up until her death until 1992. What? Um, We don't know, like who was still operating at that point. Oh, like it seems like, like they kind of I'm the queen of the 40 <laughs> elephants. Well it seems like this was kind of like the end I mean it's their their heyday was like the 20s, 30s, 40s, 20s and 30s maybe. And they just sort of were like slowly declining mm-hmm. after that. Was so, she like the last elephant? She was. Um she died in 1992. She had a massive funeral. Everyone turned out and the flower arrangement said, gone shopping, which is the phrase she used for when she went to work. (laughs) Bitches be shopping. Bitches be shopping. She was buried in a $5,000 dress that was stolen from Harrods. (laughs) (laughs) Although she always insisted it was not stolen. She always insisted it was not stolen. And knowing the way they work, maybe it wasn't stolen. Maybe she stole something else for $5,000. And then she did. Bought that Harrods dress. And her death marks the end of the 40 elephants. (sighs) Oh, I have a question. Yeah. Did they ever have, like, plants in stores? They, like, yeah, they, well. they would get jobs in stores and, like. No one would give them jobs in stores, I guess, because they were too well recognized. Uh, Even the noobs? I don't know. It didn't say that, although it's very possible. That might be risky, They definitely paid store detectives off, like, if they were. Cops. Like, if the store detectives were amenable they would just give them money to look the other way oh i love them i can just imagine them in their fur i know and they're all legally purchased so like Ah. if someone tries to fuck with them they're like (laughs) here's the receipt oh my god that's incredible that's the 40 elephants every time you do a crime syndicate i want to do a crime Or I want to be a part of a syndicate. Yeah. Maybe that's the part I like. you just want to be a part of a syndicate. I just need community. Yeah. (laughs) You just want to have a job. 
Oh, I have one. I don't want that. No, no, no. Like a fun job, like being a lockpick. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, I want to be a lockpick. I forgot about yeah. that. Okay. I did just learn how keys work. Oh, good. That's the, that's the first step. They, you put it in? Yeah. And then they go like this. Yeah. And then they go. Yeah. I'm a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love them. We love a lady crime. We do. I feel so fulfilled and inspired. Me too. I want to walk out that door and do a crime. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, also, when this airs, it'll be the last episode before Sky's birthday, and she asked me to sneak a special secret message in for her. Okay. So I'm sneaking a sec- secret message in for her. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Sky. <laughs> so secret. What so does secret. that even mean? If you want to decode that, um, <laughs> go to mysterydame.com slash decoder ring. <laughs> We should get a decoder ring. We should make a decoder ring. ring. <gasps> Wait, we should really make a decoder I ring. I know. So we got an email from one of our listeners, Hattie, who Hi, Hattie. famously gave us the Milliam drawing. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it, it's on our Instagram and it's at the end of our holiday episode. She wrote us and said, the subject of the email is, I, Tanya, did COVID. <laughs> and the email says... I'm re-listening from the beginning of the pod, and I'm on episode 28 when it is announced that I, Tanya, came out of Kayla's computer. (laughs) I'm not saying that Kayla is responsible for COVID. I just think it's suspicious that COVID started after I, Tanya, was finally (laughs) taken out of her computer. If it never came out, we could have had a completely different last three years. Thank you, Hattie. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, signing that email, thank you, is really funny. If you're new here, um, yeah. here's the backstory of that. I had a DVD of I, Tanya, <laughs> a screener of I, Tanya, and it was before I moved, right? Mm-hmm. So I put it in my laptop, mm-hmm. and it never came Because, out. sorry, for those of you who are new here, back in the old days, you oh, used yeah, to be able sorry. to put DVDs into laptops. Yes. They had DVD drives in them. Well, they had CD drives in yeah. them. And you could watch DVDs on there. Yeah. So I put it in there. And I don't know why. I think it was for some stupid reason. Like, I moved and my internet wasn't up yet. Mm. Or, like, I was somewhere and I didn't have internet. And the only thing I could do was watch (laughs) Watch the screener of (laughs) Itanya. So it went into my computer and didn't come out. And I couldn't get it out. And every time. months and months and months. Years. Literal years. years. And every time I turned my computer on, it started playing (laughs) Itanya. So... So I have seen those like 30 seconds of the parrot and <laughs> and what's her Alice and Janney like thousands yeah. of times. And then it started to become lore yeah. that like I Tanya was stuck in my computer. It was like and, canon on our podcast. Yeah. That and we named the computer Tanya after the screener. After the screener. And then like three years later, one day, it just came out. Yeah. And that might be where the timeline split. That might have been where the timeline split. I still have it. I'm going to frame, frame it, it in a shadow box. I think you should frame it in one of those, like, go- you know how um, yes. recording artists get, like, golden <laughs> records they have, yes. when they go platinum? Yep, I think I should They get a platinum that. record, yeah. and you it's like a frame with, like, a little plaque on it. Mm-hmm. I think it should say, like, I, Tanya, Kayla's computer, and then the <laughs> years. Like, it's like a death. Like, it was, like, 2013 what, to What 20. year did it come out? What year were that? Did that movie come out? What year was it, the Oscars? Because it came out the year before the Oscars. 2017. So it was, and then when did it come out? Just episode 28? I guess, tw- I guess in like 2020, probably. Oh or 2019. God. Well, I got the computer that I have now in 20, 
19. Okay, so 2019. So it's probably. two years. It was in my computer. <laughs> <laughs> so you should put that on there and it could be a big Aww, frame. Tonya. Yeah. Anyway, Hattie, I don't disagree with you. I don't either. I do think that that's where the timeline split. It must be. Right. So thank you, Hattie, for that conspiracy theory. We love it. Go back and listen to episode 28, where I guess I, Tonya comes I'm out. I'm going to go listen to it. So if you want to listen to I, Tonya drama... <laughs> Episode 28. I can't believe. Hattie, I just love you. We just love you. Just love you. Thank you. So thanks to everyone for listening. Yeah. I <laughs> hope you enjoyed. Thank you. Anything else? Mm-mm. We don't know. Stay in your lane. Buckle the buck up. Diamond smooches. Ooh. <laughs> 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 Goodbye. Goodbye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But Why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.